Let's turn to Ezekiel uh, chapter 2 this evening, Sunday night through the Bible, ex, uh, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, come to Exodus chapter, uh, not Exodus, but Ezekiel uh, chapter 2 this evening. If you're with us tonight and without a Bible, you'll be fairly lost without one. Just wave to one of the guys with Bibles coming up the aisle right now, and uh, they'll get one into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible uh, a gift uh, from us to you. Uh, this evening. We remember as uh, Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel closes in, uh, in chapter 1, Ezekiel is given a vision of uh, God's glory and uh, his response to seeing that vision of God's glory, uh, there that final sentence of uh, verse 28 of chapter 1, and so when I saw it, Ezekiel said, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. And so he just kind of collapses before the Lord in uh, seeing the glory of God. You, it, it reminds us, I think, when we read the book of Revelation and we see uh, John, the Apostle John, who is the human author of the book, and he's continually falling down uh, in, in the glory of the Lord, the glory of heaven. And uh, this, is the, this is what it's uh, like to be. One day we'll be in a new body uh, that'll be made for heaven as Christians. And uh, we'll have, the, I'm sure, the, the same great and even greater awe of God. Uh, but to be uh, even seeing these things in a vision as those two do, just to see a vision of heaven uh, is to have this uh, you know, pronounced effect uh, upon, upon them. And then in, in chapter 2, verse 1, and, and he, that is the Lord, uh, said to me, that is Ezekiel, uh, son of man, uh, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Uh, that phrase, son of man, it's an expression that is uh, used 93 times in the book of Ezekiel. And um, it emphasizes the fact to Ezekiel as God refers to him uh, as the Son of Man, it, it, uh, it emphasizes that Ezekiel is merely a human being uh, in relation now and in contact with the true and the living God. Uh, last time when we spoke in uh, chapter 1, we're talking about uh, in terms of any call that God has upon our lives really to do anything, but certainly as a prophet or uh, as a pastor, an evangelist, or anything like that. Anyone, I think, that any position in which uh, you're going to be leading and influencing other people, the necessity of having a vision of God. And uh, so one of the young men in the fellowship asked me uh, the next day, you know, what, what do you mean by that, having a vision of God? And, uh, and I wasn't able to get to chapter 2 on that night because you were listening so slowly that I, I, could, I was held up. And, uh, but what it means is that somehow in our lives we have an encounter with God that is such that we learn the two great rules of the universe, and that is number one, there is a God, and number two, you're not Him. And, uh, and until a person has that kind of an encounter with God and that recognition, the great gap, the great distance between Him and who and uh, what we are, uh, it's so necessary for humility and uh, so necessary for a sense of awe and handling holy things and the things uh, of the Lord. And so Ezekiel here, he receives that kind of vision. We may not have a vision of the glory of God in the same way that he did, but there'll be something along the course in our life that we recognize, something that humbles us, that puts us before, uh, you know, the, at the feet of God and saying, God, I am 
absolutely amazed at your love for me, at your use of me, of your call upon my life. I can't believe it. I am but a, a, a son of man uh, here. And, and always that vision will give a person a sense of, of, uh, of privilege of being able to serve the Lord. It doesn't mean that we may not kind of balk at what God calls us to do as He shows us the hardship uh, of it, but that, that sense of awe will be there. Ezekiel will balk uh, uh, numerous times in, in the book and especially in these early chapters. It isn't that he says no, but he's got to get his head around, a little bit around what God is calling him to do. And so the Lord speaks to him, Son of man, stand uh, on your feet and I will speak to you. And, and here now, formerly the Lord calls uh, Ezekiel into his ministry and commissions him into this, his ministry. This is the formal start. The vision is really the start of, his, uh, of the beginning of his ministry. Now God is going to inform him, this is what's going on behind the vision, I'm calling you to be a prophet uh, to my people. And so he's called to stand on his feet. And then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me, and he set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. And so in this calling of God upon uh, Ezekiel's life, the first thing that he experiences is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Of course, uh, we remember that Jesus, even Jesus, the Son of God, God in human flesh, uh, began when he began his public ministry. It began with his water baptism by John the Baptist, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming upon him to provide him, as Jesus spoke in Acts chapter 1, uh, with the power to be a witness to, uh, to Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so in every one of us, as we serve the Lord, we will have no hope of success. Uh, uh, God never calls us to do something and then says, listen, I've been watching you and wow, you're something. And uh, you're so strong and you're so talented and you're so smart. Uh, and, and here's what I'd like you to do. We'll, we'd all collapse in 48 hours. It's impossible to do what God calls any of us to do uh, in our own power. So we have to receive that power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the most miserable things in the whole world uh, is to attempt to do God's work in our own power. It's always a crash and, uh, a crash and burn. And uh, if you've never, ever been baptized with the Holy Spirit, I mean, the Holy Spirit comes in us when we're born again. This is power for service that God calls us to, uh, to realize, to ask God for this, this encounter of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives to give us, uh, give us that power, providing us the will to do and the power to do of, of God's good pleasure. Now, remember in the Old Testament that the uh, Holy Spirit came into people's lives, and I'm moving into people's lives as opposed to upon, and uh, rather sparingly. So the Holy Spirit was present at work in, in, around God's people, but it was a rare occasion when an individual had the Holy Spirit come inside of them. It was usually when they were being called to do something uh, you know, specific for, uh, for the Lord, uh, a prophet or a judge or someone uh, like that. And, and, it, and, I, and I mention it uh, just to 
uh, remember what a privilege it is in this new covenant to have God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us, and then the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. This was something that very, what you and I experience and we enjoy every single day, even on our worst days, even on our most mundane days, uh, is a day that the average saint in the Old Testament knew nothing about being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And uh, so the privilege that it is, the Spirit entered into him when he spoke to me. He set me on, uh, on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to him. And so now he's going to be given the power now uh, to obey and fulfill the calling that God uh, has, has given uh, to him. And he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel. Well, what in the world could the children of Israel need with a prophet? I mean, they're God's people. I mean, you've got all those dirty Philistines and Moabites and Hittites and, and uh, other people all around. Why would God need to waste his time uh, with these uh, uh, good, obedient, compliant people? Well, that's not exactly where they were at this time in their history. So he's calling him to be a prophet, not to the pagan nations, but to the children of Israel, to God's people. And then he describes them there uh, uh, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have uh, transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children, and I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. So he describes them as rebellious, and uh, any kind of just casual reading of the Old Testament is to realize that the overwhelming majority of the history of the children of Israel in the Old Testament, it was just little pockets in which they walked with God and lived close to God. It's all, the whole history almost is of of rebellion, and they were now they, they were in rebellion on steroids, and uh, he calls them transgressors. There in verse three, uh, tra- to be a transgressor is the word is used in the Old Testament carries the same implication in the New Testament is is even uh, worse than being a sinner. Uh, a sinner is someone who is less than perfect, violates God's uh, commandments, even though they they're, uh, want to obey the commandments. They're trying to obey the commandments. They fall short of it. That's what a sinner is. A transgressor is a person who knows better. They know what the Word of God says, and they say, I don't care. I don't care what God says in His Word. I'm going to do what I want. And that was the condition of the children of Israel at that time. One of the reasons they needed a prophet to come and, and rebuke them. And so this is disobedience and defiance of, uh, of God. Uh, impudent there in, in verse 4, it means a hard of face. They're just shameless in their sin, stubborn in, uh, in, in their sin. And he describes them in verse 4 again of, as being stubborn, literally firm uh, of heart. Both their mind, in their minds and their hearts, in their bodies, their convictions, they were just determined that they were going to uh, continue in, in their sin. It's like when Jesus spoke to the Jewish religious leaders of his day, and, and he said, these people, they draw near to me in their mouth, but their heart is very, very far from me. It's the same condition of uh, 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 Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, by and large, at the time of, of Ezekiel's um, a prophecy, becoming a prophet uh, to them. I don't know that there could be a, a more difficult and frustrating ministry 
uh, than the one that Ezekiel is called to here. And uh, dealing with people who claim no God, uh, but do not want anything to do with His Word, His authority. They just want to play uh, games. And, and the Bible talks about it. Paul wrote, writes to Timothy, I think it's Second Timothy in chapter 3, and he talks about perilous times in the last days. And he goes through this whole list of sins that are there, and then as characteristics of what people will be like. And then to make sure that we realize that he's not talking about, uh, you know, the, the pagan world when he makes this list. He says they'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. Uh, and this will be something that will mark a, a significant block of Christianity, what calls itself Christianity before the rapture of the church. There will be, uh, ha, uh, you know, godliness will be at the end of the list, and it'll be at, at the end of all of these lists of sins that people want to, uh, want to commit, and then God comes in afterwards, but we want a little bit of angel dust or pixie dust uh, upon our lives and uh, a little bit of a religious veneer to our lives, but it really is making no impact. And so at the end of the age, whenever that is, I'm on tiptoes waiting for the Lord return. There is nothing in the Bible uh, prophetically that needs to be fulfilled in, uh, yet in order for Jesus to return for the rapture of the church. I mean, you might even notice here, I mean, the, the nuances, the little things that God is putting into place uh, today, you might have noticed in the last few months with uh, President Trump in office, and he's talking about NATO pulling their full weight and, and the NATO nations, and now uh, Germany has, as a part of the e European Union, now spearheading uh, for the first time the establishment of a European Union army that will come uh, most significantly out of Germany and out of France. And we see all of these developments of what's being put into place for a day when a man of sin, the Antichrist, comes uh, onto the scene and simply takes over what's been uh, given to him. And so it's, it, it's the world that we live in, and it's a, and it's a, it's a part of uh, what we're called to be as Christians here in these, these last days. I'm, I'm so thankful for you. I get to serve as a pastor. You, you come uh, eager to hear the Word of God and to grow in our relationships with one another and to obey God. I can't imagine where, you know, it's like uh, th this, is, uh, uh, this is the congregation that I'm sending you to. I mean, nobody in, their, nobody in their right mind would want a candidate for a church like this, that it's made up exclusively uh, of these people. But unfortunately, again, it wasn't the Philistines. This was God's people that Ezekiel was, was being uh, sent to. And God said, as for them, whether they uh, hear or whether they refuse, uh, for they are a rebellious house. He's, I mean, God, you've got to give him credit. He, he lets Ezekiel know ahead of time. Uh, yet they will know that a prophet has been uh, among them. And so Ezekiel's success as a prophet does not lie at all in whether the people listen to him or not. That is not his responsibility. His responsibility is to do what God called him to do so that when judgment ultimately came upon Judah, they would know that God had warned them through a prophet for these long decades before uh, it ever happened. And, uh, and, I, and I think that's an important thing for us to remember as God calls us to preach the gospel, to speak for God. It is, it is not our responsibility 
for uh, what people do with God's message. Our responsibility is to be faithful, to deliver the message, and what they do with it is completely uh, out, of, uh, out of our control. And so uh, he said, you speak. I want them to know that when this happens, they had been forewarned related to it. Nobody can say later, I wish God had told me and, and called me to turn uh, from my sin. And it's interesting, the, the book of Ezekiel, there's so much as we see these visions of God, it emphasizes two wonderful things equally. It really talks about uh, the sovereignty of God, the almightiness of God. But all the way through the book, there's this strong emphasis upon personal responsibility uh, as, as well. And so here God tells him, you speak, and uh, just like for us, one day we want to hear from the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And one of the things that can happen in our minds is that we think uh, we kind of rework it and that what we're working toward today in our Christian lives for ultimately when we stand before the Lord, that uh, God is going to require something more than us than uh, faithfulness. Uh, well done, thou good and excess, uh, successful servant. Uh, or, or well done, thou good and popular servant. That's not what we're going to be rewarded for one day. We have no control over our, our popularity. Uh, we have no control over what kind of fruit comes out of our lives. The one thing we have control over is, is being faithful. And God is establishing these important principles here in his life as Ezekiel begins his ministry. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Now, fear is a big deal. And uh, as we read kind of what Ezekiel's going to find himself in the middle of with, these, with the people, it'd be better, God is going to say in a moment, that he was speaking to the Philistines. Um, but uh, fear is something that all of us have to deal with in terms of letting the circumstances of the world or in the lives that are a part of the ministry that God has called us to or to speak into. It can happen even within a family and, and that kind of a thing. And always that pressure for fear uh, to silence us, uh, especially when opposition comes from God's people. And, and uh, so he's being told that they're not to be afraid. It always helps me when, you know, fear wants to grip me, and, I, and the Bible says the prudent man sees trouble afar off, and he hides himself. And typically, I can see uh, very, uh, one of the first things I see is, is uh, all the things that can go wrong with a given course of action. I never stop there, but I see that clearer than anything else. And, uh, oh no, these are going to be the problems if I do what God is telling me to do here. This is going to be uh, problematic. And, uh, and, and so the, the challenge sometimes to continue to speak faithfully for the Lord. I do like the fact that when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, even the great apostle Paul, uh, he spoke to them and, and uh, asked them, would you pray for me for boldness? that I would continue to speak as I ought. And I think if, if, if we sometimes think that Paul was this dynamic man, this bold man solely on the basis of personality, but it wasn't so. It was the Holy Spirit in his life, and it was the product of, of other people's prayers that he asked uh, that, that he would specifically have that kind of boldness and not be silenced by uh, the things that could silence you in terms of fear. Listen, when you've been stoned to death, in Lystra and dragged outside uh, of the city and left for dead. Um, uh, 
You can think about things as you're making your way to the next city, and you're called to declare the very same message that got you stoned in Lystra. And uh, so you're going to need a a, a supernatural uh, uh, boldness and and strength. And and so he says to you, uh, son of man, do not be afraid, nor be afraid of their words. In other words, uh, Ezekiel is going to deliver his message, again, not to the pagans, but to people who considered themselves God's people. And, and indeed they were. And uh, they are going to threaten him. These weren't like, don't be afraid of their words. You know, they're going to send you cards and say nice things. No, these are the people going to threaten you to shut up or it's your life. Don't be afraid of that. Uh, though briars and thorns are with you uh, and you uh, dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words, nor dismayed by their looks, uh, though they are a rebellious house. So that's quite a congregation, isn't it? A whole congregation of briar thorns and scorpions. I'd like God to tell you that. Here you are, you know, maybe 22 years old. You're in the bedroom, your bedroom, crying out to God. God, use me as, as however you like. And then he says, all right, I'm going to make you a pastor in such and such a place. And by the way, let me uh, describe your congregation to you. Uh, They're described as as thorns and briars in the same way Jesus did in the parable of the soils. Uh, And and that is the the soil that was crowded, the soil that's uh, not fruitful for the Word of God. God is just telling him ahead of time, these people are not going to receive the Word. Their lives are too crowded with too many other things. And uh, when he refers uh, to them as scorpions there, uh, you know, speaking of of the physical, actual physical danger that they will uh, represent uh, uh, to him. And so, but whatever their rejection or their reaction to the Word of God, verse 7, you shall speak my words to them, uh, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. Now, that's known as clarity from God in terms of what he's being called to. I, I do agree with uh, Pastor Chuck Smith when I heard him say a million years ago, when God called him into the ministry in, at a young age, and, and he said, I'm so got, glad God called me when I was young before I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> and, uh, sometimes you don't want to know more than you have to know. You grow into uh, the things that are going to come against you. But here in, w- with Ezekiel, there is, uh, he's being told up front uh, everything. But you, son of man, uh, verse 8, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. In other words, they're rebelling against my word. Now you don't rebel uh, against my call upon your life as a prophet. Open your mouth and eat what I uh, give you. And now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in that hand, and it was God's hand. And then he spread uh, the scroll before uh, Ezekiel to see it, and uh, he saw that there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. And so the scroll contained the message of lamentation and warning and woe that Ezekiel was going to uh, deliver to the, the, the children of Israel. The scroll, of course, was the equivalent of a book today. Uh, they didn't have books at that time, and so they would either use parchment, leather, uh, or uh, papyrus and uh, make it into these rolls and scroll them up, and that's the form 
uh, of, and, and all of the prophecies that he's going to declare apparently written there uh, upon the scroll. And so there's lots of interpretations that are given. People can get very fanciful about uh, how, uh, you know, the scroll is rolled out before Ezekiel. And it's not only uh, are the prophecies written on one side of the scroll, but the prophecies are written on both sides uh, of the scroll. And I think probably the simplest and the best uh, explanation uh, is that God had a lot of lamentation and warning and woe to speak to the children uh, of Israel. And so uh, letting Ezekiel know that the message that was, he was going to deliver to them was going to be one of, of a strong warning and, and uh, judgment. And moreover, chapter 3, really it's a, chapter 3 is kind of a continuation. It's a bad uh, chapter break. Um, but it, it, it continues the same scene. And moreover, the Lord said to him in this same scene, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go and speak uh, to the house of Israel. And so I opened my mouth, and he caused me uh, to eat the scroll. And then he said to me, Son of man, uh, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that is the message that I give you. And so I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey, in uh, sweetness. And so he's told there to eat the scroll. Uh, Ezekiel opens his mouth, we're told, and the Lord caused him to eat. Now, the Bible scholars are, are divided on whether this was literal, whether he, uh, you know, uh, actually ate a scroll and, uh, or whether it was, he ate it as a part of, of the vision and, uh, or whether this was kind of just an allegory. And so, uh, in other words, that kind of the idea of that Ezekiel simply read the scroll, he read the book, and then he internalized the message in the same way we talk about reading a book that we, uh, you know, captures us and we read it quickly from one to end of the other and we say, we devoured that book. And so some people uh, think that it, it wasn't literally eaten, it was just devoured in kind of a, a different way. I certainly don't know. Uh, what it is here, I tend to take things literally unless uh, I'm compelled by uh, the context to believe uh, otherwise. But whatever happened here, the effect upon Ezekiel is exactly the same. And so he, in eating the scroll, basically he internalized the message. Uh, the lamentations and the woes and the warnings that were contained there, he internalized them. They became a, a part of him. In the same way that we eat physical food and it immediately impacts it, becomes a, a, a part of us. And, and he ate of this and was uh, spiritually impacted. This message now became a, a part of him. I think that this is always... Uh, uh, important to occur certainly in anyone that's called to any kind of speaking ministry in the body of Christ and certainly uh, related to, uh, to a prophet. And, uh, and that is that what happens with Ezekiel here has to happen with us and that is we have to be the first partaker of any truth that we ever uh, deliver uh, to, to people in any teaching, in any ministry, in uh, ever teaching a Bible study. It isn't enough that I have the passage. 
uh, the passage also has to have me. And those are two entirely different qualities of authority in delivering the Word of God. When I merely have the passage and I'm declaring that, let alone uh, the far greater experience is, is that I have this passage, I have the message of the passage, I have made it mine first. I have let it impact my own relationship with God first. It's become something real to me in my interaction with God. And then, and now out of having internalized this truth, I now deliver it to other people. And, the, and it's it, two entirely different dynamics that occur related uh, to that and the importance of, of internalizing the Word of God and, and allowing the message to, uh, to have us for its in order to, again, have its full, uh, full uh, impact. Uh, don't ever uh, and, and, and deliver it with that kind of authority. I, sometimes I'll hear sermons, uh, not often, thankfully, uh, but once in a while, and I always cringe at it, I'll hear someone minister the Word of God uh, related to some hot topic of, of the day. Uh, whether it might be abortion or it might be uh, homosexuality or heterosexual sin uh, or marriage or something like that. And the pastor's up there and it's like, well, you, uh, they give the idea that this is what God says, but I'm not necessarily on board with him related to this. Like there's a division here between it. And, he, and the, the speaker's trying to save himself, separate himself from the message. I mean, that sermon goes splat right there, and then uh, somebody comes with a vacuum and cleans it up afterwards. No power in that. We don't need to apologize for God. Now, if we're going to speak for Him, uh, again, the two rules of the universe, and you never speak in a way that says, all right, I'm divided with God on this, but I guess I have to deliver it to you. But I want you to know, I want you to like me enough to know that I'm not so certain about this. Uh, that kind of person should never take a Bible in their hands and stand before people and claim uh, to represent God. And God helped me, uh, by the way, in the same issue. You can pray for me related to that. He talks about this message being uh, honey uh, in, in sweetness in his mouth. So he's going to deliver the same message uh, to the people. And the people, in the, in the, it's not going to taste like honey in their mouth. It's going to taste like something very, very uh, bitter uh, to them. But even the, the Word of God, even the message of God, when it comes in the form of exhortation and warning and woe and lamentation, it is still sweet. It is still sweetness to us because it is the Word of God. And there's that recognition that the only reason that God has ever forced in anyone's life or any nation's life to speak warning and woe and lamentation to a person or a nation is because he's been forced to. He would much rather speak uh, of blessing and, and encouragement, but he's been uh, forced there. But we see the Word of God. But it is the same Word that produces two entirely different reactions in people. But the reaction and what the Word of God tastes like only exposes the heart of the person that's receiving the Word. The same gospel that cause, calls upon us to be saved in the knowledge that salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, to one person, that is sweetness. To another person, uh, that is bitterness. 
And it all depends upon a person's heart as it relates to, to how they, uh, they, uh, they view that. A call to repentance, a call to obey God's uh, commandments. Uh, to one person, it's a sweet sound and, and taste in their life. And to another, it, it's, it's bitterness. The whole Bible, though, is, is, is sweetness to, uh, to the child of God and certainly to any prophet. And it was to Ezekiel. And God made it so. And then God said to him further, he said, Son of man, go. Uh, where? To the house of Israel. And speak with my words uh, to them. And, uh, for you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech. I'm not, uh, I'm not sending you on a, uh, missions to Colombia or Uruguay or Russia. And, uh, and of hard language. You're not going to have to learn another language now to be my prophet uh, because I'm sending you with this message of woe and lamentation to my people, to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. And surely, had I sent you to them, uh, they would have listened to you. Uh, you, if you ever uh, witness to people and share the gospel uh, uh, today, whether it's, you know, in a, in a relationship that is work-related or family-related or, or just kind of uh, uh, just strangers in, in sharing uh, the gospel, sometimes uh, that can be a, a difficult uh, situation. And uh, uh, I... Uh, it, it breaks my heart for the number of, of, of people that are around me in terms of neighbors and even within Karen and my uh, family and uh, who have absolutely no interest in the gospel at all. Uh, don't want to hear it as we've already shared it with them. And uh, it's like not, a, not one thought is given uh, to why are we here? How did we get here? Why are we in the condition that we're in? Why are we sinners? Is there a hope for uh, a sinner? What happens when you die? Is there life after death? Not a single thought is given to any of this. It's just the next meal and the next vacation and the next, uh, you know, series that they're going to, uh, you know, watch on Netflix or, or entertain themselves away. And, and, but when you can talk with someone, and sometimes there's the pushback on it, as no, difficult as that is sometimes to, to deal with and how it breaks our heart, there is nothing harder than talking to someone who claims to be a Christian and is engaged in sin that is clearly forbidden in the Word of God. And, and, and have somehow justified uh, this uh, Christianity that they have fashioned for themselves and are convinced that this is completely obey, okay with God despite anything that you might show them uh, in, in the Word of God. And that's a tough crowd and, uh, and a, tough, a, a tough audience. The pride, the arrogance that is there. And again, Ezekiel is being uh, sent uh, to them. He said, God said, listen, I'm sending you to the hardest group of all. Oh, no, not the Philistines. No, 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 no. You thought, if you thought the Philistines would be hard, the, you ain't seen nothing yet. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. And this brings, of course, reminds us in the New Testament where Jesus spoke to us and said, if they, if, uh, if they don't listen to me, uh, uh, then they're not going to listen to you. So don't be shocked by it. If they do listen to you, uh, it, 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 then it's because they would listen to me. We're connected uh, uh, to them. And, and important to realize is that 
is that this doesn't depend all upon us. When, when we declare God's truth to people and it is rejected and we are rejected as a, a result, we can tend to take that very personally and maybe there's a level that we ought to take. It ought to hurt our hearts on, on some level. But the ultimate rejection, it, it, we're just the messenger. The ultimate rejection is toward the king who, who sent us to uh, deliver the, the message. And so they're not going to listen to you because uh, they, they will not listen to me. For, uh, and here for is a reason word, for all the house of Israel uh, are uh, impudent and uh, hard-hearted. And behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong uh, against, uh, uh, the, uh, against their forehead. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, uh, though they are a rebellious, uh, uh, a rebellious house. And so uh, the Lord speaks to them uh, here to, uh, to uh, Ezekiel, and uh, lets them know they're, they're not going to listen to you at, at, at all related uh, to this. This is the condition. And so I'm go- he decides, God decides he's going to give uh, Ezekiel kind of a special uh, equipping for uh, this ministry. And so God here, he proceeded to give Ezekiel a greater strength and a greater zeal for God's Word. Uh, than the children of Israel had for their sin and their idolatry and their lies. And, and we're going to need that in, in these days. As people give themselves more and more over to sin, listen, we would all be doing the same thing but for the grace of God. I'm not talking down to in, anybody. But everybody can be saved and can be changed. But when, uh, when this open rebellion against uh, God's Word, even present on some level in the body of Christ, and the engagement of, uh, in idolatry, and, and in lies, and in sin, in, in the face of God's Word, and then withstanding people uh, who will take the Word and deliver it and teach it as something that ought to be taken seriously and ought to be, uh, to be obeyed, and you feel the culture, you feel the pushback of the culture against these things. They've got a hard head. And I mean, they've got a, a hard forehead in terms of butting back against God's standard and against God's truth. And what we will need within this kind of a context in our service to the Lord is what God gives Ezekiel here. And he said, they think they got a hard head. I'm going to give you a head that's harder than even uh, them. And, and, and he says, like uh, adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made uh, your uh, forehead. And so the Lord uh, says, as strong as their reaction is going to be against my truth and against you, and as hard-headed as they are against those things, I'm going to make you more zealous and more hard-headed for the Word of God and, and my truth uh, than anything that they, uh, than, that they could come up with. And so he's going to be dealing with hard-headed people. God said, I'm going to make you uh, hard-headed uh, as well. And, uh, uh, doesn't, and it is important to notice that he doesn't say, I'm going to make you hard-hearted. Uh, it, it is this magnificent combination of remaining soft-hearted, but, uh, but then being hard-headed 
uh, about truth and about uh, compromise and about the, these kind of things and standing uh, on, on the Word of God. And so God's going to make Ezekiel as stubborn for God, as stubborn for truth as they were uh, stubborn for their lies and, and their uh, idolatry. And I, I think that sometimes in uh, the softness of our age, and I won't bring up uh, the Gillette commercials. I haven't watched any of them yet, just the great hubbub of, of all of it. But uh, uh, sometimes we can uh, tend to think that, you know, the great Christian thing to do in the face of any battle or any kind of a, 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 of a conflict, whether it's with the culture or whether it's with the, uh, an individual, is to simply cave on it. And uh, the devil never compromises. If you don't know that yet, uh, uh, he is the, the Nancy Pelosi uh, of heaven. I'm sorry about that. It just uh, came out. We're at a bit of a standstill, aren't we, with these uh, two uh, loggerheads on, on issues. I'll stay out of the politics of it uh, related to things. But the devil never compromises. Uh, he just simply doesn't. And uh, what we find ourselves as being the ones that are the most uh, uh, tempted to, to compromise uh, on, on things. And that always the, the, the most Christian thing that we can do is just simply fold up in any conversation or fold up in any stand that we're taking within our family or, or uh, uh, any other sphere of influence that we have. Uh, just give up and then hope God that uses that as a witness uh, for Him. Uh, but, uh, but that's not what God calls us to do. Uh, didn't call Ezekiel, and he doesn't call us to do it any more than, uh, than, uh, than, than he did w uh, with Ezekiel. We're never to give an inch related to what God says about anything, ever, ever. And I, I think about how often are we in these conversations and uh, in, in the culture and in, in lots of different places and all kinds of different things are being said in a group of maybe five or six and you're the only person that holds the view uh, that, that you hold, a biblical view. And, uh, and, and the temptation is great, isn't it, to just simply let them do their round robin related to whatever it is that they're talking about and all, and to know that we see this entirely different in, in terms of how God sees it, and think that the, the loving thing and the wonderful thing is to just simply not say anything here. And, and then God ends up not having a voice in any conversation uh, within, within the world. And, uh, but, but the importance of speaking, the importance of being salt and light, not to give an inch. I, I remember many, many years ago, there was an actress, perhaps she's still an actress, Anne Hetch, uh, or Hetchy, and, uh, and she uh, entered into a lesbian lifestyle. And, um, and apparently her mother was a Christian. And uh, she, uh, there was an article and everything about it, and her mother, and, and many of you are familiar with this, uh, her mother's just one of those Bible people and, and loves God and is all those outdated uh, definitions of right and wrong and doesn't understand and it's put a strain in the relationship and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and, uh, and so uh, the, the, the conversation that happened between Anne and her mother, and she said, uh, why won't you accept my homosexuality? And her mother said, why won't you accept my Christianity? And it's interesting that Anne Hetch came out of, out of that lifestyle later. I don't know, certainly don't know whether she knows God or anything like that. But I always had respect for the mother, uh, that this isn't just a one-sided thing. And uh, sometimes it's costly to make the stand, but the stand has to be, uh, to be uh, uh, made. And I don't think that any of us are going to 
have, and certainly no pastor, but it's not just pastors, it's all of us. Uh, None of us are going to be faithful to uh, God in in the midst of the uh, moral and spiritual climate of of our nation and of our world unless uh, we ask God to give us this kind of a forehead and give us a love for God and a love for His Word and His truth and internalize it in such a way that we realize that when we speak God's truth, even when it is a message of judgment, that it is sweetness and we are doing something good for a person. But what they do with that truth is out of our control. Our responsibility was merely to say it and then leave it uh, with, uh, with the, Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit. And the whole, the whole idea here is, and God was saying it to Ezekiel, is, is you, 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 you have to be tough. You have to be tough. And the, to walk as a Christian in this world, it's always been true, but it's no less true today. It is the hardest thing anyone will ever do. And you can put Navy SEALs on there. You can put Green Beret on there. That is tough on an, on an unbelievable level, on a physical, emotional, mental level. I would wash out in the first 15 minutes. But to, to live the three score and ten and remain faithful to God in the midst of spiritual warfare and all of the other things that we face, it really, really takes a, a backbone and God will supply us uh, with that backbone. I think of the, the two great weapons that we possess in this battle that we're in the middle of as, as Christians in this world. The two great weapons that, that we possess is the Republican Party. I'm just kidding. All right. I said I, w- I, said I wouldn't, but I wanted to do even play. So I jabbed all the Democrats in the eye, and now I've de- jabbed all of the Republicans in the eye. And I'll work on you independence before we get done uh, with the sermon. No, but the two great weapons that we have is truth and love. It is the hard head and it is the soft heart that God gives to uh, Ezekiel uh, here. And moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. And go, uh, get to the captives, to the children uh, of your people, and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. That's, uh, that's not your problem, Ezekiel. And then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice, Blessed is the glory of the Lord from His place. And I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels beside them and a great thunderous noise. And so uh, here is uh, the Lord is taking Ezekiel uh, to the captives at Tel Aviv uh, on the river Chabar there in, in Babylon uh, away from this vision now that he has received. And the Lord lifted me up, took me away, and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong with me. And then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv who uh, dwelt uh, by the river Chabar, and I uh, sat there, and I sat there where they sat and remained there astonished among them for seven days. Can't even talk. I mean, the, uh, the afterglow of this vision that he received. Now, Ezekiel, his message was, his prophetic ministry was to the children of Israel, but principally to the children of Israel who were captive in Babylon. 
Uh, Jeremiah was doing a fine job in Jerusalem, speaking the very same message to the Jews uh, that were there. And so now he comes back from wherever this vision took him, and he can't, he, uh, I don't know what astonished looks like, you know, in terms of, I can guess what it looks like, but he just sat there for seven days after this thing, and, uh, and, and that's all that he can do. Now, it came to pass at the uh, end of the seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house uh, of Israel. And therefore, hear a word from me, uh, from my mouth, and uh, give them warning from me. A watchman was very, very significant in the ancient world. If you had a walled city, or really any city, but a walled city, a watchman was someone who was put on the highest part of the wall or the highest building within the city and would uh, keep on watch the same way that kind of in the forestry department that they uh, watch for whatever um, fires PG&E is starting. I, I am getting myself in so much trouble uh, here tonight, but they're, they're looking from miles in all directions for what it is, uh, the, the fire that's going to come. And a watchman in the ancient world would look out and, and see, you know, they would be watching for a, approaching danger, approaching enemy. That was their position. Remember, they didn't have security systems in those days. There's no robotics on any of this, no technology. All that had to be done uh, with, with human effort. And it was a place of, of tremendous responsibility to warn the population in the city of approaching uh, danger. And that is, uh, that's what uh, the call was uh, in, for, uh, for a watchman. And, uh, and so God calls him, said, I've made you that, and therefore hear the word from my mouth and, uh, and give them warning uh, from me. So this is the message of warning that you're to give them in terms of the spiritual uh, fix therein and the danger of judgment that's coming to them as a result of it. And uh, so I want you to deliver my message to them. And when I say to the wicked through you, Ezekiel, uh, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked, you keep silent uh, uh, in terms of the message of calling the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, uh, but his blood I will require at your hand. Ezekiel, if I give you a message to warn the wicked and you fail to warn them, them and they die as a result of the judgment that they deserve, I will hold you responsible uh, for, uh, for uh, uh, that, that blood. And yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness uh, nor from his wicked way, uh, then he shall die in his iniquity and, uh, and you have delivered your soul." Now, it, I think it's important to be careful here related to this. He, he is emphasizing how important it is for Ezekiel and for us to be watchmen. For us, the message we declare is the gospel, God's invitation of salvation to people. But we also include the message of, uh, that, uh, that the consequences of accepting this God's Savior or rejecting Him, the consequences aren't trivial. They have eternal consequences. There is uh, eternity. Heaven and hell is at stake related uh, to this and to warn related uh, to that. And so uh, here he tells Ezekiel, you need to deliver the message. If you don't and they die, I'm going to hold you responsible. If you do deliver the message, they maintain their wickedness and they die, then you're free. 
I, I, uh, the, it is not then holding Ezekiel responsible uh, for the death of the person or for their eternal destination. Uh, I don't think that any other human being's salvation in this world is dependent upon anything or anyone as tenuous as me or you. If we fail to deliver the gospel or the message to a person, God will find uh, another way. But there will be a loss of reward. There'll be a consequence related uh, to our failure related to that. So it's to keep us uh, alert to uh, the importance of remaining as a watchman, as a Christian. But we must not take it so far as some people take and say, well, you didn't share the gospel with that person coming out of the subway in New York City, and now if they die in their sin, you're responsible for their eternal destination. That's to take it uh, farther than, uh, than the passage puts it, and certainly if we're going to uh, compare Scripture with Scripture in order to be safe in handling it, that, uh, that doesn't appear anywhere else in the Scriptures. Uh, but again, on the positive side, verse 20, uh, when the righteous man turns from uh, his righteousness and he commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Uh, because you did not give him warning. You didn't warn him in turning to sin. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. So we bear some responsibility in, uh, in that. And, uh, and, and nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should uh, not sin, and then he does not sin, he shall sh- surely live because he took warning, and also you shall uh, have delivered your soul. Sometimes people look at this in, in this whole passage related to Ezekiel and uh, talking as, as, as the watchman, and they say it has a strong, of course, application to Ezekiel, but there's really no New Testament application to it at all. Uh, the reason that I would differ with that is that in, in Acts chapter 20, I think it is, when Paul uh, gives his uh, message to the Ephesian elders there and uh, convinced that he will never see them again uh, in the course of his life. He declares to them, and I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare uh, the whole counsel of God to you. And so Paul, obviously, a part of his urgency, part of his boldness, part of his, uh, uh, you know, uh, the strength in, in which he operated in his ministry was he operated under the kind of urgency of the watchman that's described in Ezekiel here. He felt that if he failed to declare the whole counsel of God to people, uh, then he would somehow be responsible on some level uh, for uh, uh, if, uh, on some level uh, for out of their ignorance when he could have cleared up, cleared up their, their ignorance. He was innocent uh, of their blood. And of course, we know that in the New Testament, Paul was very clear on, on a, a person's salvation hinging solely upon what we do with Christ. Paul wasn't going to lose his salvation because he did or did not preach the gospel in some city or another. Uh, but again, uh, this whole passage produced a sobriety in this way, uh, which I think is intended to, to put in, in our lives as well. So to grab the sobriety of it, to realize that 
uh, important things are hinging upon whether we go silent or not as the body of Christ in the world today, but to not take it, uh, you, you know, beyond, uh, beyond that. And then the hand of the Lord was upon me, and He said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. And so I arose and went out to, uh, into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there. And so He sees the glory uh, of God once again, uh, like the first vision in chapter 1, like the glory which I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. There's a lot of this. I, it's going to be something to be in heaven one day, and uh, I'll be th- uh, thankful that we'll be doing that with a, n- uh, a new body. But we can't even begin to understand the, the awe of it. And then the Spirit entered me. He set me on my feet, and He spoke to me, and He said to me, go shut yourself inside uh, your house. And, uh, and you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go uh, out uh, uh, among them. And so he, he, uh, this, now he begins what's going to be the next handful of chapters as we move on in the book. God begins to do things outwardly related to uh, Ezekiel, his presentation, people seeing him because there's a spiritual message behind it. And so he's to go into his house, probably has some help with this. They're to tie him up with ropes and, and bind him, and that's how he's going to sit uh, within his house so that he can't go, uh, can't go uh, in, an, in, an, uh, in and out of, uh, of the house. And so uh, this whole uh, communicating, you know, the, the, some people take it as figurative, some people take it as, as literal. Again, I don't, I, I don't see a problem with taking it literally, but uh, the, uh, here's the restriction upon his, uh, his movement as a prophet, that it would be under the control uh, of the Lord. And then uh, I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and not be uh, one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. And so God was going to take control uh, of uh, Ezekiel's speech, and uh, God would open up his mouth when he wanted him to speak, and, uh, when, uh, and so Ezekiel's mouth was going to be completely sanctified or separated to God uh, and, and for his use in communicating uh, to the children uh, of Israel. And, and how much more valuable, uh, here you think about the impact of Ezekiel. The only time uh, for all of these years, the, the only time they would ever hear anything come out of his mouth uh, would be when he was delivering a message from God. It wouldn't be watered down, uh, you know, in kind of talking about God and then a conversation about the Raiders or the 49ers or the Golden State Warriors or uh, politics, you'll forgive me, or whatever it might be. I mean, you, you, in our lives, of course, we're going to talk about a lot of different things in life. I'm not putting us under this kind of a restriction. But when, uh, when our conversation tends to have some kind of a band upon it uh, so that uh, people realize this person doesn't just talk to be hear himself talking or herself talking. Uh, something significant comes from their life when they open their mouth, and there's more of an expectation to uh, to listen. There's always the case when somebody uh, who, who speaks by nature, their their words are 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 few, and and so. 
uh, here is this uh, restriction that would be, would be placed upon him, uh, restrictions in terms of his speech. Uh, how long that went on? Uh, it lasted uh, somewhere between uh, six and a half and seven and a half years. Uh, his tongue gets released now for broader conversation when we get to uh, chapter 33, uh, verse 22, when news of the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians uh, comes back to Babylon, and then they hear for the first time the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. Then his mouth is loose to uh, a, a, broader, uh, a broader use. Uh, and uh, verse 27, but when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who uh, bears, uh, he who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. And so here we have uh, officially the calling and the commission of Ezekiel, and then the, the formal start of his prophetic ministry is in chapters 4 and, and 5, and we'll take a look at those uh, next week. Let's stand together, and uh, we'll close in prayer in a song. Father, we thank you for this man, and we realize he is uh, just flesh and blood like all of us, and uh, has a capacity for sorrow and elation, and plans for his life and desires for his life, and thoughts that he might have had about what his ministry would be like and to whom, and, and Lord, it's just wonderful to stop and to see him process all of this to see what you speak uh, to him in all of this, and then to see the lessons that are uh, timeless and apply to our lives as well. And we pray, Lord, that in the hour in which you have called us to speak for you, to be your voice in this world and in a world that increasingly is unlikely to ever pick up a Bible and open it, bar barring a revival, that you would give us this kind of a strong forehead, and yet behind it a, a soft heart, and a, a love for your word and your truth, a determination to stand for it, Lord, and to know that we're only doing good, not only for ourselves, but others as, as we do. But then, Lord, to remain soft-hearted in the middle of that battle, and especially when that conflict doesn't involve pagans and the world, uh, but it involves people who claim to know you. And we ask that you would continue to develop this within our lives and that you would keep us safe in our service to you by doing so. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.